You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Wednesday, October 26, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler filled discussion about Andor, episode eight, Narkina. Uh, this is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And as always, Star Wars expert Brian Young. That That's me. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, before we uh, get into our brief reactions and break down the episode, uh, let's do a feedback section. We haven't done this in a little bit. Uh, we got some emails. Uh, actually, before we get the emails... I wanted to mention something uh, that came out on uh, Twitter uh, after last time we recorded, and that is about uh, where Cyril works in Andor. Like, so he's working in the what is it called? The Department of of Standards. Yeah, that's it. I the keep, in my head, I keep correcting it to weights and measures. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he's in the Department of Standards, and it's this facility that stretches out for miles with cubicles of, like, you know, these, like, uh, I don't know, crazy cubicles. Turns out this is actually an idea that came up from Ryan Johnson for Star Wars The Last Jedi, and it was an unused thing. So originally he he wanted to... He wanted to include this gigantic bullpen on Snoke's ship full of accountants and pencil pushers. The idea 
uh, was later reimagined for this. So I thought that was a cool detail that we didn't know about, but apparently you can see a little of it in The Last Jedi, The Art of the Last Jedi. You see a little bit of that concept art. I I would say, too, if you notice in my review from last week, and I think we talked about it and I mentioned it, that this reminded me very much of The Apartment and the office that, that Jack Lemmon's character works in. Um, and uh, someone, uh, you know, th- that's where Ryan Johnson got the idea for wanting that bullpen. You can go to The Art of the Last Jedi, and he's like, this is uh. where it came from, was The Apartment. So, like, <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit for that. Good job, Brian. Uh, okay, we got a couple emails here. Nathan writes in, uh, you mentioned how w- weird it is to hear people mentioning Palpatine because he should be this figure who is so high up that no one uh, should be really talking to him. I just wanted to add that I think this just, just goes to show how high in the ranks Yularen is. He's not just another Imperial uh, dressing everyone down. He's delivering a message directly from the Emperor himself which is an incredibly rare event and therefore taken very seriously. I think that's a good point. Uh, The other email I wanted to read is from Russ in Indianapolis. uh, And uh, he says, I haven't really seen or heard anyone discussing this. So I was curious. Okay, guys, what Russ is about to say is a crazy fan theory, but I want to propose it to you guys. This is what Russ says. Do you think it's possible that Dedra Miro is Cassian's long-lost sister? We know little about her background, but doesn't seem unlikely that the the Empire Um, found children and put them to work. The actress is only a couple months younger than Diego Luna. Could work. I I would like to say that, like, she's she's white. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's that's, that's, the, that's the biggest detail while that, while that would be an intriguing wrinkle but but also and, at the same time there are there are people who do have hispanic heritage and background who do appear to be to be white as well so true. it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility the, the other thing well i don't see disney going like well i the I, other I thing that, that was your response the other thing <laughs> the other thing is that the whole point of that backstory for Cassian on um, on that planet was to to give him the accent, and so it feels like wouldn't she have at least some traces of the accent instead of the proper Coruscant accent if that was where they were heading? Well, I mean, a- a- unless it's like it's such a drastic transformation for her that over the years she's come to like learn to hide it in order to make it so that it doesn't look like, you know, some kind of weakness for her by appearing to be, you know, an other. Yeah. And uh, by the way, the planet that was escaping your brain was Canari is the planet. Um, yeah. I, I don't know where they're headed with this. Like we, we are on episode eight. How many episodes are in this season? 12, 12. So we only have four more. If my math is correct. <laughs> Uh, do you think we're going to get a, well, I, I, do you think we're going to get any more reveals of his sister this season? I, I think that that dead end is sort of, I think that dead end was a MacGuffin to motivate him into revealing a little bit about his past, not necessarily a continuing story thread because he like, 
but I they continue of, it with like his mom being like, you need to drop this. Well, but, but one of the things about this show though, that especially with this episode that keeps giving us is that the personal dreams and hopes and ambitions of people keep getting pushed aside for the greater effort, whether that's Cyril having a personal life as an Imperial standards uh, employee, or whether that's like Vel and Cinta not being able to consummate their relationship because they have the work ahead of them. Like everyone's personal priorities take a back seat to how oppressive the empire is. And so if that's the thing that Cassian has to like give up, right. In order to move forward with his life with the rebellion, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, but to give that up, I think he needs to have to find her at some point, right? I mean, anything can happen. <laughs> um, I do think that, like, this isn't something that we're not going to get a resolution on. I'm not saying that it's going to be this happy ending or it's going to be this big reveal of, oh, my God, it was Dedra all along. Uh, but I do think we're going to – I mean, what, what do you think, Brad? I mean, it's an interesting theory, um, but I just, uh, I, yeah, I, I think for, you know, the obvious reason that Brian mentioned, um, I, I feel like it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think this theory is going to happen, but I wanted to bring it up because I think uh, when, whenever you have a mystery, people are trying to look all through the story of like, who could it possibly be? And uh, this one, I, I thought it was funny, so I, I, I thought I'd read it. But uh, okay, let's... Uh, Let's get into our brief reactions about this episode. Brad, how about you go first? What are your reactions for Narkina, episode eight of Andor? Uh, I like this episode very much. Um, and I I love just how focused it is on showing how terrifying this prison is. I mean, and you can see it all over uh, Diego Luna's face throughout most of the episode until, you know, it, we have a flash forward a little bit. Like his his eyes are just completely terrified and he, he looks more scared than we've ever seen him in rogue one or in uh, previous um, episodes of, of this season. And uh, yeah, there's just, there's just a lot of good stuff here. There's a lot of interesting um, details as far as building, like where, where the empire is right now, the, the way the kind of like world is reacting to it, how desperate people are to get information about things, how, um, how the impact of the rebellion has already, you know, uh, unfolded and it's really starting to make a change, both, you know, both good and bad. And we're, we're slowly building towards, you know, what, what will eventually become this conflict between the rebel Alliance and, and the empire. So, uh, yeah, just, just great stuff. You know, I just, I continue to be super impressed by, by the writing and how the show, uh, you know, isn't afraid to take its time to really set the stage uh, for all these thematic elements. It was it was a little frustrating, you know, when the f show first started. Those, those <laughs> first two episodes were slow, but now that we're into it and like I see what Tony Gilroy is doing and everything, it's uh, I appreciate it more and more. While watching this episode, I was taken aback to uh, Clark's Kevin Smith's Clark's film and that conversation about the contractors and the Death Star and like. Uh, you know, how, how was the Empire able to build this whole thing? And I, I know many people have said, like, you know, the, the prequels were basically a big answer to that uh, with, with the clone, you know, with, with everything like that. Uh, 
But I don't know, seeing this prison and seeing how the Empire is employing these prisoners as workers to build, to help build the technology and weaponry that is used for them to rule over the galaxy was was actually a cool I'm, I'm not gonna say like uh there isn't like a lot of like forward momentum in the story here but it was a cool slice of seeing a part of this universe this galaxy and uh being able and also it had a very brian would i be incorrect in saying this had very like thx 1138 vibes to it no, it, it, it really did, and I thought that was a really interesting contrast to last week we were talking about the THX 1138 vibes of the Imperial Security Bureau, and to see them here, so it's like, it's almost like saying that every building and every system the Empire creates, whether you're working in the system as an agent of it or oppressed by it, is a prison. Yeah. What are your brief thoughts on this episode? This episode was hard to watch in a good way. Like it was just so full of tension and like there it's bleak, right? It's bleak for everyone. And it's it's got that that sort of like you don't know who to trust, fear of discovery tension that is pretty common in in sort of really good spy movies and novels. And it really played that off really well. But the like like Brad said, like the writing is just really sharp. The dialogue, especially when characters are dancing around each other, because no one is really because it is that spy sort of style. No one's able to say what they really mean. And so watching people dance around things and make suppositions and then you make suppositions based on those is is a lot of fun. It, it creates a really great participation for an audience member. And now we we're eight episodes in and all of the threads of the story have sort of splintered off into their own factions so that we can get like that one scene between Vel and Cinta and feel like, okay, they, they are just as vital a part of the story as, as say Cassian and know the context of that and know how that works and everything and, and actually have some payoffs to other things. And so the show really rewards you for paying attention. And I really like that. For sure. Um, I'd also like to bring up a, a surprise, or at least a surprise for me, uh, because, you know, the, the, the first three episodes were uh, written by Tony Gilroy, directed by Toby Haynes. The next three episodes were directed by uh, Susanna White, and uh, I forget who wrote them. I don't have them on top of my... Uh, it was uh, it Dan was, Gilroy. It was Dan Gilroy. Dan Gilroy, yeah. Yeah, so we had assumed, we were making the assumption with last week's episode seven announcement that was directed by Benjamin Curran and written by Stephen Schiff, that the next two episodes, this episode and next week's was going to be also directed and written by those two people, but that was not the case. So th this episode is a completely new director and right. Well, not completely new director. The director is Toby Haynes who directed He's the BAFTA Award uh, nominated director who directed the first three episodes of Andor. He's back again. It's written by Bo Willimon, who is the guy that wrote the play Ides of March and helped turn that into a movie. And then later was known as the creator of House of Cards and wrote many episodes of that TV, that Netflix TV series. So, uh, so what is going on here, guys? Is it like no longer... Uh, 
one creative team working my on? Guess, my guess, and this is just purely a guess, is that this is something that has to do with production where the sets for this stuff, um, largely like the prison, were sort of separated by time or space or mm. who knows what from everything else. And so they needed one of the other directors to take it for scheduling reasons. Now, you're, you're probably right about that. Okay, uh, let's get into it. Let's get into the breakdown. Uh, I'm going to separate this episode just because it's probably easier to do it this way instead of jumping back and forth into we'll talk about ISB Ferrix, and then we'll talk about uh, the Curson stuff, and then we'll talk about Andor, all of his story. Okay, so let's start things out, even though it doesn't begin here with... Uh, the ISB and them finding Cyril at the Department of Standards and bringing him back to be interrogated by Dedra. And uh, what do you guys think about Cyril's tie? Is it weird? I I like it. It's got that. <laughs> it, it has this really ridiculous, like, it reminds me of the way the 30s interpreted the future. Right? <laughs> like, it's got this Metropolis vibe. Yeah, totally. And and I love that they're going back to those sorts of design flourishes and elements. There was so much like classic 30s sort of silent film flourishes in this like um and we'll talk about it later but like yeah, like this felt like I don't know, just his costume and his tie felt like something out of Metropolis or a a Fritz Lang movie and other parts felt like Chaplin's Modern Times and yeah, just more bleak. I mean I'll say uh, logically, the tie to me makes sense. Like, why are we still like performing this like complicated knot that we got to put on every time we put on a tie? This just like goes in a thing, and you pull it down. Like, it seems like way more simplified and way more like we we've we've moved beyond. Like, we we have a better technology than like having to like tie this thing every time we put it on. I want to say that there's some designs. If you go back through some of the art books, you're going to find some designs similar to that from, from the classics too. What do you I mean? I can't put my finger on it, but like if you go back like and look at all the, the unused designs in the art of star Wars books, oh, okay. You're going to find one of those ties in there somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. If you're probably right. Uh, probably wasn't something completely invented for this. Okay. So Dedra learns that Cyril, Never got to read Blevins' report, despite the fact that he was forced to sign it, and she allows him to do that. And meanwhile, uh, in the ISB, Dedra lays out her theory about the stolen Star Path unit and Andor, and she hopes to find the per the man that she's calling Axis, who is the person that Andor is working for, and that's like the big mystery there. Uh, Cyril gives Dedra some minor details about access, uh, you know, that he's wearing a green cape. Uh, he, he makes the pitch to be part of this investigation, but she isn't interested. I am actually surprised with this, guys, because I thought that this was the moment that Cyril was going to join the ISB and the investigation. But Dedra cl clearly has no interest in Cyril. Why do you think she's not interested? I feel like she can smell his desperation, you know, and 
it's just like he, he's clearly a weasel you know like he's sure he's dedicated to the cause but like she knows that he's probably really not gonna get them any further than she can do herself and she doesn't need anybody else there to potentially take credit for the success of what she's trying to pull off i think there's a really interesting other path for cyril as a character too where like he gets chewed up and spit out for doing what i mean like let's be honest what he was doing in the first three episodes was the he was trying to do the right thing for the right reasons like this guy murdered somebody we need to go in after him like that's not the cover up in the corruption was something that he was aghast by and now he's he's encountering the same thing with the empire which he thought was going to be better about all of this and so I could see his character turning as easily to the rebellion as joining the ISB only if to overturn a system that he, he views as as corrupt as anything else. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that this, this was a thing that really made me think that he's probably going to end up being part of the rebel Alliance because I think that he's just going to be become so disillusioned with like the system that he thought was really going to like instill rules and make things, <laughs> things better. And like, now he's just going to be like, well, it's like to hell with this, you know, it's like, let's, let's take it down. I mean, that would definitely make sense, especially with my criticism earlier that, uh, the show is getting you to care way too much for this, you know, this guy that's basically, you know, the the fictional version version of a Nazi. It, it, like, do you know what I mean it's it, it, it's weird that we're sympathizing so much with his part? The only thing that makes sense to me is that he, this is a journey for him to be redeemed and become uh, to join the rebel uh, the rebellion in some way. He's going to complicate things, sure, but um, that's not his only function in the story, though, because if it wasn't for him and his, like, dogged, like, an intense desire for justice, Axis and and Cassian, none of those players would be on Dedra's radar, right? So this clampdown for the public, uh, you know, the, the new legislation that Palpatine passed that's causing all these problems with the resentencing, none of that would have happened had Cyril not said, no, this injustice can't stand. That's a great way of looking at it, too. Okay. Uh, oh, I also wanted to mention that I love this Star Wars version of an interrogation room. And, uh, and I guess uh, since we have so few Easter eggs on the show... I'm going to point out uh, that they have the same cameras that Luke Han and Chewbacca shoot down at in the new hope on the Death Star like that. Like, yeah, like the, the little six eyed. Yeah. Things, those things. Uh, okay. So meanwhile, on Ferrex, Bazo walks past the hotel that has been taken over by the empire and Bix and Brazo uh, take care of, Indor's mother, Marva, who has become ill. Uh, neither of them know where Cassian is or know how to contact him. Um, Val watches them from across the way, and Sinta meets with her. And Sinta wants to rent a room around the corner and uh, keep watch, wait, hoping Luthen will eventually show up. Guys, this rebellion doesn't seem like it has a good plan. Like th- th- this seems like like the they should have had a some place to meet or some kind of like p- afterwards plan uh, for what happened 
with the barracks. I mean, I feel like what kind of changed things, I think, for them is that uh, Cassian left, you yeah. know? And so now they're trying to clean up any loose ends because we see, as we see later in the episode, Luthen is worried that Cassian can't be found because of how much he knows about him and everything like that. So that's why, you know, Val and Cinta are being sent to to track him down. And, you know, so it's they're, they're kind of in between of like figuring out what to do in the aftermath of that and then also what to do next because at any moment, you know, the Empire could track them down and, you know, punish them for, for what they did. So even if they did have a plan, I think maybe not having a plan after, after this probably makes it so that they're all equally safe so that if one of them did get captured, there's no information for them to divulge for that would put anybody else in danger. That's a good point. Um, I will say it also seems kind of weird to me that like even Luthen thinks that like Cassian has too much information about him. What does Cassian actually know? He knows his spacecraft and he knows that something about that crystal, that sky crystal. Like, I feel like he doesn't have enough information about it. I think he knows he's from Coruscant. He knows that he's connected with the Rebellion. He knows about the Fondor Hallcraft, which is a pretty rare ship. Right? Okay. And and that's enough. Like, if you look up, like, rich guys who wear cloaks and walk with canes <laughs> that own Fonder Hallcrafts on Coruscant, that narrows things down considerably. Yeah, maybe the crystal has something to do with yeah. his, his Well, dad. and that's the thing. Like, like a Sky Kyber crystal is like, that's a, an, an ancient relic, right? Hmm. And it has a story that goes back to the antiquity of the galaxy. Like, that narrows it down even further. Yeah, F- fair enough, fair enough. Um, I-, I just think the Imperials have shown themselves to be bungling fools so far that I don't think they would be able to, <laughs> to put two and two together. But I don't know, put Dedra on it. Maybe she'll she'll figure it out. Um, okay, so Val wants to stay together, but Cynthia thinks they will get too much attention staying together. And I think it's uh, made a lot more clear uh, I was hinted at, I think, before that they were together. But here, I think it's very, very clear that they're together. Uh, am I wrong in saying that it appears to me that Val's love for Cinta is greater than the cause and Cinta's love is the opposite? I mean, I think I don't know if it's the opposite. I just think that Cinta is so dedicated to the cause that she's not willing to let a relationship upend her dedication to it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Bix goes to the shop and asks to use a secret transmission antenna that they have out back. And uh, uh, Clea receives the transmission but doesn't want to respond, even though Luthen uh, wants to respond. And Luthen reluctantly agrees to shut down the connection to Ferrix. Uh, by the way, when he, when he agrees to shut down the connection to Ferrix, does that mean that they can no longer contact each other? Or does that mean so, that like he's not responding? It, he- well, it, it means he's not responding, but um, this is actually something that happened sort of in Phantom Menace um, when Darth Maul had C.O. Bibble contact Qui-Gon and the Queen. Um, the intent was to start a connection trace, right? So like as soon as they made that connection, he'd be able to track where they were. So shutting down the connection was a way of like making it so that if the Empire put the circuits back together and tried to scramble that code back out, they'd be able to triangulate where it was. But shutting down one half of the circuit before they were able to to make that connection trace 
um, meant that it protected Luthen, although it did nothing for Bix and the folks of Ferrix. Okay, so my question is, if Luthen wanted to contact them or they wanted to contact Luthen again, is it still possible to do that, or is that no longer possible because he cut the... I think he still has a way to contact Val and Cinta on the oh, planet. yeah, yeah. Um, so that he could give them a new code somehow, but I, I, I don't think it's possible in that the Empire took over the entire facility and probably confiscated that that equipment. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Cinta can see Marva's front door from her new room on Ferrix, and uh, Luthen, in disguise, sets course for Segra Milo, I think it's what is this a new planet. Yeah. Do we know about this planet? Nope, this is new. Okay. Uh Luthen lands on Segra Milo where Sagrera and his group of uh radicals. They what, call what? themselves the partisans, like Saw's partisans. Although that's different than the partisan alliance he references later. Confusing. Okay, uh, well, they're hiding out in caves on this planet, and uh, I was so happy to see Two Tubes back and Eating Cook uh, reprise his role as Two Tubes. I don't know why I'm so excited for Two Tubes, but Two Tubes makes me happy. I, I'd be similarly excited for Therm Scissor Punch. I get it. <laughs> uh, so neither one of them is willing to take credit or deny credit for what happened in Al on Eldani. Why isn't Luthen willing to take credit? Operational security? If Saw gets caught and he says, no, yeah. Luthen did it for sure. Like, it's it's all just like, it's all spycraft, right? They all lie to each other in ways that they have to in order to keep themselves and each other safe. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so Luthen tries to sell some Imperial tech to Saw and he brings up uh, into... Krieger? Krieger? And Anto Krieger. Krieger. Who is that? Uh, he's a separatist. Um, that's all we know. Like, he's a new character that, that they reference here. But Saw pretty blatantly is disgusted by this guy because he was a separatist. If you remember Saw's history, Saw was part of the rebellion, uh, the resistance on the planet Onderon to separatist occupation. And the separatists killed his sister. And so separatists are something that they fought against until the Republic came and uh, rescued them. But I mean, the Republic couldn't quite rescue them. So the Republic was using Saw's soldiers or Stila, his sisters in that case. Um, and they continued their rebellion after the empire took over because they traded one master for another uh, in, in, in bad ways. So Saw has a lot of deep-seated hatred for separatists, and um, it was probably a reach for for Luthen to ask him to work with one. Yeah. Um, what are we supposed to take away from this interaction, do you think? That the rebellion is scattered and leaderless and has no one connecting the dots it's except for Luthen. Yeah, and also it shows, uh, you know, just continues to show how far apart someone like Saw Guerrera is from what seems to be the primary rebel cause, and that 
uh, he's not somebody who is necessarily going to fall in line, even if there is a more organized effort. You know, you kind of see the roots here that he's he's not just following along. Uh, he's got his own beliefs that are a little bit more uh, extreme. You know, I mean, Luther himself, you know, asked asked him about anarchy, and so what 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 Saul Guerrero would prefer is a little bit more. Um, yeah, like extreme than what I think the rest of the Rebel Alliance is looking for. I think I think one thing for people to to pay attention to, and, and Brad, I think you kind of touched on it in your answer, is like the definition of the word anarchy in this context is different than what people might think politically today. But anarchists uh, in the labor revolution of the early 20th century were people who were just like, yeah, I'm going to blow up that factory. They're not paying us well enough. Um. And so it was like extreme uses of violence because back then the police uh, in the case of the United States were willing to like beat up, you know, striking workers or like brutalize them, murder them, um, you know, those sorts of things. So it was like we just have to match their violence with ours. And that's and that's sort of what uh, I think uh, Luthen means in reference to Saw in, in this context rather than you know leaderless you know uh, anarchy anarchist style of government you know what i mean yeah well i also think like saw is in the picture here i mean obviously he was a character that was in rogue one he also appeared in rebels yeah he did appear clone wars? He, he did appear in rebels and clone wars yeah but and I, bad match yeah, so it, it makes sense for him to be here because he's part of that Rogue One storyline anyways. But I think for me, he's kind of a, uh, you know, I've said in the past on this uh, on this podcast, like there's characters that are a mirror of each other. And I think he's kind of mirroring Mon Mothma, like in the way that she she has to work in the Senate with all these people that she doesn't necessarily agree with. And she's... I, I think she's the version of uh, him that he does not want to be. Like, Sagrera has these ideals, and he has these – he's not willing to compromise his vision to work with others. He he needs it to be done his way, and I think Mon is, like, the the opposite. I think – I think that's I think that's that's pretty astute. And in Rebels sort of furthers those juxtapositions where – I think they get involved, right? Like Saw does sort of take some steps. And I think it's Luthen who's that glue that keeps those those factions together. But Saw ends up taking steps that makes it so that they have to distance themselves. Like Mon Mothma can't be associated with them and what they're doing because what they're doing is no, no better than the Empire. They're basically taking the Empire's tactics of... Um, torture and terror and destruction and playing it against them. Yeah. It, it's interesting because I think we've seen in our, our politics in the United States in the, the, the last decade, uh, how infighting in a party, like it's just like at some point you do need to like all be on the same page, but at the, at the other point, and, and that's probably how some parties won over other parties, is they were all on the same page. But, like, it's also if you're all on the same page, that that can be a path to what the empire is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that one yeah. ideal, it, it can be just very destructive. Yeah. So. Um, okay, so uh, 
an Imperial officer spots Bix on Ferrix and uh, she makes a run for it, but is caught. And Bix is brought into a room to be interrogated by Dedra, who has set up the situation until she'll still see this tortured guy as she comes in. Like, is this a guy that we've seen before? Uh, no, he's just one of the ISB stooges. Okay. Um, and uh, that, that's, I, I guess, leading. Oh, which guy? Which guy? The guy who arrested? The guy that was like uh, in the room. She was going to be interrogated yeah, the, by the Dedra. The guy that was tortured was the guy who owned that shop. So he's been in oh, like three or four episodes. He okay. was. There. I thought you were talking about the soldier who arrested her. I was like, nope, he's just an ISB stooge. No, the guy that was being tortured was Pac, I think his name was. And he was the one who ran that store. So every time she went in to ask if she could use that that transmitter, he's the one she talked to for permission. So her going in there, seeing him, knowing that she's responsible for what happened to him, and this is all leading, this is a cliffhanger for us next week, seeing the confrontation of Dedra and Bix, and what does Bix can give up? What can Bix even give up? Does Bix even know anything? Bix knows who Luthen is, or at least who, like, they. she can give does them she? more clues about Luthen. She had a longer relationship with him and they had scenes together in those first episodes, right? Yeah. Like they had a longer history. She probably knows more about him, honestly, than, than Cassian does. I mean, you might be right, but uh, other than being able to describe him, like I don't know, it didn't seem like she knew much about it, but we'll, I guess we'll find out next well, week. But in this show, everyone's obscuring what they really know. And the only thing we've, seen her tell anyone about Luthen is what she told Cassian, which was going to be purposely vague. True. Uh, Brad, where do you think this, this, this interrogation is going to lead? You mean you like, as far as her, uh, Bix Kayleen is, is yeah. concerned. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, cause like, it's not as if she, if she 100% knows where Cassian is, but if anything, if she if it results in i don't know more more torture or something like that then it's very likely that this will be something that pushes her you know towards the rebel cause yeah i think she's definitely becoming a rebel okay let's ju- jump over to Coruscant. uh uh perin perin is that his name um amathma's husband perin uh puts this wormy creature in her in, in his drink at another one of their cocktail parties at their residence. And this is called a squig. Is this something new? Yeah, this is, it seems like they were building the context to say that this was a Chandralin custom. And we haven't seen much of Chandrila. And so they, they just sort of invented it for this, as far as I can tell. They also said like a word, like Sagrana. Yeah, which, which seemed like some sort of uh, traditional drink salute sort of situation. Yeah. Um, Tay is back and he has bad news. New banking regulations are making things difficult. And uh, there was this weird interaction between uh, Mon Mothma's daughter and Tay. What do you think is going on there? Does, do you think that like the daughter suspects that like her mom's having an affair with Tay or something? That was what I got. I think I think the thing is, is that Perrin and Mon Mothma's daughter are so clueless about her actual work. Everything that they're going to assume is not going to be like, my God, she's leading a rebellion. It's my God, mom's cheating on dad. Yeah. 
I mean, it definitely seems like she's taking dad's side of things so far. So uh, guests at the cocktail reception talk about the poured leg- P-O-R-D, not Porg, but P-O-R-D legis- legislation. And uh, we see how quickly people are willing to give up their rights out of fear. And uh, is there anything else to say, say about those that scene? Um, I mean, just that things are getting even harder, even for the bankers to move money around without being watched, yeah. which is important. And we also learn that Mon Mothma joined the Senate at age 16. She was married at age 15. Uh, what does this tell us? Well, why do you think they relayed that information? I think a lot of people are scratching their heads going, how in the world did those two end up together? Yeah. And uh, it, it it seems that like adulthood comes earlier on Chandrilla, kind of like, I guess, like Naboo. I think there's definitely some threads there. I think if you look at the the societies in Star Wars that have the most sort of sense of fairness and justice in their governments are governed by the younger, more idealistic people. And the ones that turn more to corruption are largely run by old white men or the alien equivalent. Yeah. Okay. Let's jump to the main storyline by that. I mean, I mean, Cassian and or storyline. Uh, the episode begins with short troopers moving a bunch of prisoners. And is it me? Is it just me or are the short troopers slash stormtroopers here more dicks than we've seen stormtroopers be in a long time? Um, I mean, I, there were definitely some moments where they were dicks in Kenobi. There's moments where, I don't know, stormtroopers are just dicks. I know they're dicks, but I, I guess like in recent Star Wars, uh, I feel like they are more played off as like idiots than like assholes. I don't know. I think, I think there's this thread where like where, where you have stormtroopers and shore troopers and things like that that are people who signed up. There's sort of two sorts of people who sign up for that. On one hand, you have the folks who are like in poverty circumstances who this is their only way to join up to elevate themselves like the American military, right? Um, they don't necessarily believe the, the, the greatness of the country or the need to, to you know, die for it, but it's the only way to elevate them out of their circumstances. On the other hand, you've got the people who join who are like true believers and and like these are the sort of like the shore troopers are the guys who are like, you know, the 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 MAGA stormtroopers who believe that the fascism is a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so they ask Andor his name and home planet. He gives him his alias and the planet of Daris Plata. I didn't find anything on that planet either. Okay. Um. There's a bunch of other planets named in the background as other prisoners were being sent off. I, I there was someone named Tuck Hybex from Galdi, uh, who's being transfer transferred to Belsavis, I think. Um, Did they mention well, mention Glup Shido at all? Wait, what? Did they mention <laughs> Glup Shido at all? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, 
anyways, uh, so Andor is sorted into a transport headed to Narkina 5. And on the transport, the prisoners have to remove their sandals, which comes into play later because the security of this whole facility is dependent on them not wearing any shoes, apparently. Seems smart. Um, well, yeah. I mean, the, the shoes thing is how they torture them. Yeah. Uh, so Nerkina 5 seems uh, kind of interesting. It's a planet with a large ocean that has many fabricated hexagonal islands, which I'm guessing... Like, are we to believe that they're each like their own like underwater bases? I think so. I would also argue it's not a planet, but a moon. Well, yeah, you're probably right because it's uh, five. Well, yeah. and it's it, like the establishing shots are of it, a smaller planet in orbit of a large gas giant. Yeah. Okay. So Andor and other prisoners arrive at this Imperial factory facility where they have been assigned to serve out their sentence as laborers, uh, while this is a prison for facility, they don't have a ton of guards with weapons. Instead, they have built the floors to be able to shock and punish the prisoners. And the floors are made out of something called tunstoid steel. Is that something from Star Wars? It is, actually. This was a throwaway reference in Troy Denning's Fate of the Jedi Abyss. Uh, tungstoid was a very heavy material that they made blast doors out of on Coruscant and Jaina Solo ran into it once in that book, and that was the only mention of it. So it's probably one of those things where Pablo Hidalgo has a mind of a steel trap, and they said, hey, what could this floor be made of? And he said, I don't know, Tungstoid. We used that once. <laughs> um, okay, so that's good to know that that's, that's a thing. Also, while it's never been stated, we noticed that all the Imperials are wearing these special boots that we are to assume prevents them from being shocked. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I don't know the storytelling in the show. It's just done. It, it has the confidence in the viewer. And I think it shows you those boots without ever like putting a close up on the boots without ever like, being like these boots prevent us from not being. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, like there's yeah. no clunky lines, but I think everybody watching it understands what the boots are for. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Brad, what do you think about this type of security system? It seems ripe for a prison break to me. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, you know, but but of course you have to you have to make it challenging for the prison break to happen though. And this is it's a pretty tough prison, and I'm very interested to see how they're gonna bust casting out of it well they're just gonna have to steal a bunch of those boots and somehow and then well i think that's why they were they were really focusing on there was a lot in that scene that they were focusing focusing on that seems unnecessary unless it's going to play out later like the guy being late for his shift and then being shorthanded and then like and the rack where the shoes are and stuff like that like all of that stuff i think is going to play out in the next episode yeah yeah i agree and, yeah. and, and for a split second I actually wondered if they were going to just um, throw us into a middle of a prison break just happening without our knowledge of it being planned. Because I, I, I wondered if like them being late and stuff like that was like the the, the prison break actually being enacted. But I, I think you're right. It's just it's focusing on those details so that they can be exploited later. Yeah. Uh, OK, so Andor is delivered to his assigned work position in level five room two day shift. 
and it's explained that there are seven levels per each factory, seven rooms per each level, seven tables per each room, and seven men who work at each table, which means there's 49 people working in each room with one uh, supervisor. Uh, if my math is correct, that's 2,400 people, uh, 2,400 prisoners working in each one of these factories. This is a big operation. But my question to you guys is, what is the obsession with Seven? My guess, and this is something that happens in Star Wars a lot as far as like the expanded universe and stuff, is that um, there are alien species who have different numbers of hands or uh, digits on their fingers. And so the architects of this particular uh, base were probably maybe they had seven fingers on their hands. And so everything in their counting is is base seven rather than where us we're we're a base five sort of counting culture um i think that's probably where it is or i'm overthinking it who knows <laughs> no that makes sense uh okay and here we meet andy circus's character kino loy uh yep. the word kino means film right i think it means like film uh, so that's a weird name, but, uh, I mean, I guess it's a star Wars name. He's the unit manager here. And also, uh, don't tell anybody, but he's Supreme leader Snoke in the sequel trilogy. Not the same character, but same actor. Well, as far as we know, <laughs> Dude, Brad, do you want to propose a theory that we're, we're seeing the origin story of Snoke here? I mean, let's just say that, you know, being the guy who's in charge of a big assembly line like this is probably going to go crazy at some point, And maybe that just turns him to the dark side of the force and turns into this crazy monster. Who knows? And the most aggressive vowel or the most aggressive sound in the name Snoke is that K. And his name starts with Kino, right? So, like, there's some... There's some crossover there. I yeah. think there's some potential. Absolutely. I didn't expect this to go off the rails so fast. <laughs> okay. Didn't uh, you? So uh, uh, this whole situation is interesting because they aren't even paying Imperials to manage each room. They have prisoners themselves managing it under the guise of like them uh, being able to get out early. And... Uh, the Imperials only show up to pick up the dead or to deliver replacements. So uh, it, it's also weird how the whole operation is set up almost like a game. They use the word play. Like each table in the room is competing against each other and each room is competing against each other on that level. And like the people that do the worst get tortured. The people that do the best get rewarded uh i don't i don't think it's i think it's it's something that you see pretty common in situations where they want them to be fighting each other instead of banding together and finding solidarity and you know there's more of them than there are imperials so if they did decide to rise up you know it's a problem but if they're fighting yeah. each other that's not going to happen i also think it's funny it's kind of a comparison to like um I was reading recently with uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter and how he's like uh, looking to lay off a significant amount, like how that company works or even like other tech companies, they, they have similar models of like pitting the employees against each other in the performance reviews and the people that get the worst reviews 
basically get let go. The people that get the best reviews get rewarded. And it, it, it's almost like the, it's Brad. Uh, yes. It's an analogy is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> Tesla and Twitter are the equivalents of Imperial prisons. <laughs> That's basically what I'm saying. Yeah. I, you know, I would, that, that tracks, man. Uh, okay. Um, there is a voice that comes over the intercom and in the credits is titled uh, uh, the character titled the voice of God, which I love. Uh, but the, which the voice, I think is a, a THX reference. Yeah. Uh, the voice is Martin Ware, who, as far as I can tell, is not an actor, but is a casting associate who has worked on the Skywalker saga amongst other stuff. So, uh, good for him. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, this whole thing feels very THX 1138 to me. The whole thing. Um, Andor and his team work to assemble uh, stuff. Brad, what are they assembling? Oh gosh, I, I, it's it's probably it's probably just like the inside of a machine that that makes uh, you know like lids for drinks. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, this scene in particular was a, a scene that I like, was really thinking about that Kevin Smith uh, Death Star Clark scene and just like how all these people are like together to make like the most yeah it's probably like the smallest bit of like something that went into like the Death Star or something yeah the the thing it reminded me of this is where I was seeing modern times like them and the way they were getting their food and like their assembly line process and the complete like dehumanizing nature of all of it is what reminded me of Chaplin's modern times and all the criticisms that Chaplin was making of that, that automated assembly line sort of process and how like it just makes robots out of people. Yeah. Uh, so on table five, he's working alongside Jembok, played by Brian Bovel. Zal, played by Joseph Davies, Taga, played by Tom Reed, Yulof, played by Christopher Fairbank, Ham, played by Clemen Schick, and Melshi, played by Duncan Powell. And Melshi is someone that we know. It is. Melshi was one of the heroes of Scarif. Yeah. Melshi, Melshi is also the one who busted Jin so out of the... Wobani labor camp at the beginning of Rogue One and Melshi being in this episode honestly was the one glimmer of hope I had for the whole thing <laughs> so we know that Melshi get, gets out of this situation with Cassian and probably joins the rebellion and like Cassian dies on Scarif so there's no hope no that's not yeah. what I'm saying um, <laughs> okay uh, so Andor and some other prisoners line up on the sky bridge it's not really a sky bridge it's like an underwater br sky bridge whatever anyways he spots taga using some sign language to communicate with the prisoner on one of the other sky bridges what do you think is going on here they're setting the seeds of a prison break or at least if nothing else something cassian can exploit for a prison break no, I, I I think that's the case, but like, how would they even know if, to do this? Like, how do you commute? I guess this might be like the galactic version of ASL, right? Like, it's, yeah, yeah. So it's so if it's the galactic version of ASL, and they can find enough people in enough tubes that have 
that ability that they can translate to others, right? They can stage a huge coup by communicating this way in a way they wouldn't be able to otherwise. Yeah. It also might be a way of them just passing information to each other too, because if they're kept separate, they can't all you know communicate with each other. They are only communicating within their small groups. So maybe that's how they're finding out information uh, from new prisoners and things like that and passing it along to everyone else. Because we we see you know how how desperate everyone is to hear about the PORD and like how people are reacting to the rebel attack on the garrison and you know the the legislation and all that jazz too yeah uh so andor is shown to sell which includes everything he needs water a nightlight toilet that folds out from the wall a plate a spoon a shaver a tube that delivers some kind of tasteless food unless um, they win yeah then it has flavor yeah if they win it has flavor <laughs> um oh boy uh last place gets uh gets fried what? last place is you're fired <laughs> <laughs> yeah um okay uh by the way i will say that uh their cells look a, a lot more um spacious than i would i would think they would be especially this being an underwater facility where it's probably space costs a lot of money but um Peter, if if uh Disney made this room available on a cruise ship, <laughs> would you pay to stay in it? I, I, would I of course I would, Brad. Of course I would. Um <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, anyways. But, uh, but, but your food comes through that tube all the time, no matter what. No, oh, no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I by the I don't know. Okay. Uh there was a period of time a few years ago that I used to love watching YouTube videos of like, there's a whole thing about this, like where like these small, tiny rooms that will everything like folds out from yeah, the yeah. walls and stuff like that. And I used to love like watching, I, I don't know in my mind that like, I don't think I would ever want to live in a place like that, but in my mind, that's cool. The minimalism of, of that. Yeah. There's, there's ingenuity there. It's, it's, it's cool to like see and think about, but it's definitely not a comfortable place to live. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to drink unflavored food out of the tube, but uh, well, you got to put it on a plate first. Yeah. Uh, but we see him later sucking out of the tube. I think, I so think that, that, was, that, that was water. Probably there were like, like this is a reference to the other scene though. There were two tubes. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay. So indoor, um, we actually get a close up of the disp- there's a display on his cell door that says 2189 and this is the number of shifts he has left or number of days he has left to work so that's 2189 how many years is that for can anybody do the math on that well no they sentenced him to 6 years okay so 6 years um the thing that was really annoying actually about this moment is that for everywhere else in the episode they they trusted us to understand the storytelling they were doing so they they did the crossfade that sort of very capably conveyed a movement of time and the countdown on the thing and then they cut to the next shot where it says 30 shifts later and it's like i know like i saw i watched this also interestingly enough and i don't know if this has ever really been discussed or established in star wars before but this does confirm that a year in the star wars universe is 365 days just like it is here on earth oh that's interesting i i I wondered that did did we know that brian so the thing is about numbers and lengths of time (laughs) and words for things the thing that they sort of tell people is that like 
none of these people are actually speaking English or communicating in native languages that we would be able to understand. And then all of this is just a translation for our benefit. So it might not actually be. No, but so they have they've translated it into the concept of a year that our tiny minds can understand. Yeah. Uh, Melshi says that don't even pay attention to that number. It's a fantasy. None of them are ever getting out of there. They're just going to extend them. They're just going to use them until they are not useful anymore, which I tend to agree. Uh, overnight, the lights on the floor turn red, prevent them from leaving their cell overnight. And we see what happens a little bit later. Uh, we cut the 30 days later with that. Yeah. Why do you think they did that? Why? Like after they spelled it out, which I thought was like a little much for the show. Usually the show would would show the number on the door and then like Melshi would come over and be like, don't pay attention to that number. You're, we're not getting out of here anyways. And it wouldn't even say like, that's the number of shifts we have left or something like that. But they even said like, this is the number of shifts we have left, you know, don't pay attention. And then they had to spell it out on screen 30 days, uh, 30. Yeah. It just felt like an unforced error. They were doing so good with just like, um, they were doing really, really well with that sort of stuff, and um, they just kind of decided to spoon-feed us that one. I don't yeah. know why. Uh, we see Cassian's prison mates all standing together, being sprayed by misters. Is this their only form of showering? I mean, until we, until we see otherwise. <laughs> I, don't know, uh, I don't know if you saw, but we came very close to getting our first butt in Star Wars. It was, it was right on the cusp. <laughs> Almost. Well, first human butt. We've had half yeah. a bore. Yeah. But well, that's, that's true. That's true. And I that was that half a bore had a much more pronounced like cloaca on screen. <laughs> that is true. Uh, okay, so they walk and pick up prison jumpsuits from a wall of cubbies, and I'm reminded of a shot from episode one on Ferrix where all the workers' gloves were on that wall. Yeah. And I feel like this is mirroring that in a way. What do you think that they're trying to say here? I I think the thing like we talked about earlier too where where the visual flourishes of this prison match the visual flourishes of inside the ISB, the visual flourishes of them having to take their clothes off the wall from this prison and the folks doing that as a job on Ferrix they're connecting those dots that like it doesn't matter how free you are if you live in a a tyrannical regime you're in a prison yeah uh cassian's team is now much better at working together and uh overnight one of the inmates tries to escape and is fried on the floor in the process uh, and no, no, no i don't think that he's trying to escape i think he killed himself yeah that was what i got too i think that okay. guy died by suicide fair enough fair enough um I guess the reason why I thought he was trying to escape is it looked like he made it towards the door. No, I think his room just happened to be towards closer to the door. And because for me, his body language, he it sound, seemed like he was trying to like drum up the courage to kill himself. Uh, okay. I also uh, love that people were yelling about the smell and uh, it was kind of uh, insinuated that they're not going to pick him up till morning. So the, the prisoners can have to stay in their cells smelling the, the fried smell of human uh, flesh flesh. Yeah. How are you going to sleep with that? Um, if only they had some of those boots. 
which I'm sure we'll get to next week. Do do either of you have anything else to say about this episode before we get into speculation? No, good stuff. Yeah, that's a good episode. And I think next week we're going to get a prison break. Are we going to get a prison break next week? Yeah, I think next week has to be the prison break. Yeah, um, which is kind of shocking because I feel like the the heist took three episodes to happen. And the prison break, they're going to have to plan and execute the prison break in one episode, which seems accelerated. Well, they can but, skip the whole planning. Yeah, cause, and honestly, what, like what, with what Brian said earlier, too, the communication on the, the, the sky bridges or water bridges, whatever you want to call them, uh, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Andor has arrived at a time when a prison break from within the prison is about to happen rather than a prison break from outside of the prison having to be planned and enacted. I think that he's just going to happen to be in the right place at the right time so that he doesn't have to be stuck there for very long. And he'll get out with Melshi. Yes, that I, I would bet money on, Brian. I'd bet money on that happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so we... we we all think that he's going to break out of prison next week. Yes. Yes. Um, what What do we think Saw's role is in the future of this, this series? I have a feeling he's going to create problems for the Rebellion just because of how stubborn he is and how you know strong he, leave, he leaves in his own path and like what he wants to see happen. And so... I feel like there'll probably be a back and forth where sometimes he'll be of assistance and other times he'll, he'll stir up trouble. I think there's an element of him too, um, where making things worse is Luthen's plan. And Luthen is being very upfront about that. Right. And it's like, saw is going to make things really uncomfortable for Mon Mothma, which is something that we know from the other material. And I wonder if that's, part of Luthen's plan and Luthen's actually playing saw like a fiddle. Yeah. I like that. Wait, what do you mean? I'm, I'm a little confused. Like Luthen is trying to push saw to do the things oh. that he's going to do to make things worse so that the empire has to crack down even more. Uh, because as soon as the people start to feel more oppression, that's when they'll be more inclined to rise up. That makes sense. Okay. I'm, I'm a little confused of what's going on on Ferex with, um, with Val and Sinta, like there's, what is, where is that going to lead? Like, it feels like they're just sitting there waiting. They're going to get a lead on Cassian because Cassian's going to break out of prison and he's an idiot and he's going to come back for Marva. Well, but I actually, I, I, I wonder though, if also maybe uh, in order to like get to Cassian, maybe this is how Bix ends up getting off. Cause maybe she, she gets, maybe they, she gets taken by uh, Sinta and Val and that's how she gets caught up in it. Yeah. Too. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that this could play out. And I think that's what's interesting about the show, right? Like there's a lot of really compelling pieces on the board that could shape things in a lot of different ways that that make it hard to predict. But once seen, feel inevitable. Yeah. Um, what do you think is going to happen next week with Dedra and uh, uh interrogating Bex, do you think she's actually going to learn anything that's helpful to her investigation? Um, I, I mean, I think if she learns anything, it's not going to be terribly useful yet because it's still so early in the timeline. 
I don't think that unless unless they're going to just give up Luthen, and maybe that's the interesting thing is Dedra just decides to like, okay, job well done, we captured Axis, but he's put enough into play that, um, you know, there's there's not going to like the rebellion keeps going, right? You cut off one head, it's a Hydra. I would, I'm not sure if I like the idea of him getting caught. I don't either just because I enjoy his presence on the show, but admit that it would add some stakes to the show and make everything feel a lot more, um, a a lot more dangerous and messy. Yeah. And I really don't know, understand how Cyril is going to get pulled back into this, especially now that Dedra really has no interest in working with them. Well, I mean, I don't know how soon necessarily this will happen, but I, I think like we said, like there's, there's got to be something that just like keeps plunging him deeper into this like depression and like, you know, feeling helpless and that he that oh. he'll, that'll, he'll probably turn against Empire. Oh, Brian just had a thought. Yeah. <laughs> think about this. Like it's this incel mentality, right? It's the school shooter thing. What do you mean? Like he's this disaffected um, guy who like the system ignores and is completely isolated from all other human beings. And like, this show is really showing us like how this, these systems grind people down and make them tense and weary. And like, what if this is him turning into one of those like school shooter sorts where he just goes in and starts shooting up the ISB. Interesting. Hmm. Like it's, it's the, you know, it's, it's, it's the, I, I could see that <laughs> happening. Turn, but I, don't, into... I, don't, I don't know where that leads us though. He turns into a violent YouTube grifter. God. Although, also, I, I think the the only issue I could see with that is it kind of makes you feel sympathetic to the the Empire in a way. If it if it if it draws that comparison. What do you mean? Well, like if you if you if you're comparing you know serial to to incels and like the school shootings or like you know sh- shooting up any public space then like he's still the villain but it makes the victims it makes you you know have sympathy for them because they're caught up in something that they didn't expect to be but if those victims are the empire do you still care but here's the thing though like the empire is doing that same thing that luthan's trying to do by like every time the rebels go out and do something or commit some horrific act they're like we've got to tighten things down again Right. So like the Empire, do we feel bad that they're going to pass another version of the Patriot Act because Cyril shoots up at ISB facility? No, but like I, th- I think the I, I feel like it's it's risky having the parallels drawn by making the victims members of the Empire. Uh, if you're trying to make the parallel to to Cyril being an incel, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree there. I agree there. Uh, any other speculation? Because those are all the questions I had for you guys. No, 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 no. I think I'm really excited to to see where we're heading next. I am excited, too. I think the the prison break could be a lot of fun. Um, I don't know how they're going to do it in one episode. I mean, we're just assuming they're going to do it in one episode. But I think especially with this being three episode arcs, next week's episode is the third episode of the arc, right? Yep. So I I would assume you would have to complete that. In that episode. Um, and then we have 
one arc after that or two arcs? Uh, uh, one, just one, one for this season. And then that closes out Cassian's first year. Uh, and next season will give us uh, the first three episodes will, will be his next full year. And that'll take us to three years prior to the Battle of Yavin. By the way, you know, when, when they were first assembling stuff in that room, I thought the reveal was going to be that they were assembling uh, K-Unit droids. Uh, that would have been too... I know. Too on the nose. I yeah. know, I know. I just thought if, that that was going to be the the reveal. If there's been anything this show has not been, it's been on the nose. I agree. I 100% agree. Okay, if you have... Uh, if you have any speculation for us, if you have any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, send them to peter at social.com and please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. You can find more of all of our work at social.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Slash Home now has a newsletter. You can subscribe to that link in the show notes below. And please, if you are enjoying this, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.